Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news, trends, and hottest topics that focus on advances in cybersecurity and cyber industry economics. Our expert yet down-to-earth hosts make cybersecurity straightforward. They ask the tough questions and make this challenging topic something that everyone can understand. Our candid approach lets guests open up on topics we would all like to see addressed. You can find us on the web at newcyberfrontier.com. That's www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join today's host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. On today, a little bit of a local-themed show where we're talking to Jonathan Vedito, uh, the director of the Procurement Technical Assistance Center, PTAC. And until a couple minutes ago, I didn't know what that acronym meant. I always just heard it by acronym. But welcome today, Jonathan. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining because uh, this has always been a show I wanted to have because I know you do a lot in the community for both cyber, for small businesses, uh, and many people don't know what that organization is or how they get involved. But uh, I guess, first of all, to start out with, give us your background. What brings you to the point where you got involved with P-Tech and what your careers look like? Okay. Well, uh... I am born and raised here in Colorado. I went to Colorado State University and my first job out of uh, college was I was an engineering tech rep for the Navy's uh, Navy. I was stationed with the CBs in Guam. Um, I hate to mention what year that was, but let's just <laughs> say it was sometime in the mid nineties, early nineties. And, uh, I basically spent my career in military contracting since then. Uh, I've owned two manufacturing companies, the um, last of which I left in October of last year because I wanted to do a change kind of in career. Been doing that for about 28 years. Uh, so my entire career has been spent in the military contracting and manufacturing. My primary customers, the last company, were NAVC, Electric Boat, and Naval Reactors. Uh, so, so when we talk about manufacturing, we're talking high-tech manufacturing. Very sophisticated manufacturing, yes. So it, give us a, without anything confidential or whatever, what types of things that involves, what that means, what are you making? So... My company, and my brother still runs it, uh, but we made a series of valves that were used in the Los Angeles, Virginia, and Ohio, and Columbia class submarines. Um, we did a lot of work with the propulsion plant, uh, a lot of work with hydraulics and steering gear. Uh, a lot of it was heavily focused on uh, the submarine platform. We also did a lot of work with aircraft carriers. And for many years, we were also involved with the uh, Air Force, uh, the uh, 20 millimeter Vulcan cannon that's installed on most US fighter planes. We supported that weapon system for many years. So we're looking at um, machining. What kind of uh, processes do you use or have, have you been using? Uh, most of the work we did, Chris, is, you know, machining, most of it five axis machining. Um, 
our company has, you know, had very large equipment, like on the order of our machining envelope is about six feet cube. Mm-hmm. Uh, all temperature controlled machining. We did a lot of joining. Uh, so we have a Navy uh, compliant welding program where we can weld basically everything up through titanium. Uh, but those are the two primary, you know, techniques we were using and EDM. Uh, really no sheet metal work, no light gauge uh, joining or anything like that. It was pretty much like traditional machining, mostly due to the applications, right? You know, added, additive is a very hot thing now, but in a lot of industries, aerospace, uh, marine, uh, power generation, certain components uh, will probably almost certainly always be made um, with traditional machining just because of the application and the criticality of the component. So we we really never did anything with additive. Interesting. So we'll be right back after we hear from our sponsors, but I want, I want to hear more about, uh, you know, this is so physical of a, of, a, of a manufacturing. And we often talk about the digital and virtual and cybersecurity in terms of, you know, not very much physical things at all. Want to know the relations when we come back. Be right back after we hear from our sponsors. Cyber Resilience Institute helps build strong cyber communities designed to prevent members from attack. Like building a neighborhood watch, it takes coordination and a sharing community to protect our identities and valuables in the virtual world. Typically, we hear that organizations know they need to do something to protect their cyber assets, but don't know where to begin. Let Cyber Resilience Institute help your community create an action plan. Cyber Resilience Institute will build your community or business marketplace so that it is designed to support a collective cyber defense. Contact them for more information at cyberresilienceinstitute.org. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. I'm today with Jonathan Vetito, and uh, we were talking before the break about physical manufacturing and machining. And so often we hear from cybersecurity people, the topic of this show about digital and, uh, you know, documents and networks and traffic communications. What is in the, in that line of work that you're, you, you spent your career, what types of cybersecurity things were you involved with? Well, initially, Chris, you remember when uh, they first started standing up uh, 800 requirements. What was that? 2016, maybe? Yeah, uh, so that's a compliance for vendors to military programs. Correct. Yeah, so we implemented that at our company. Interestingly, some of the things, you know, your background, the machine shop is a perfect example of an interface between you know, a traditional blue collar industry and cybersecurity, mm-hmm. because with today's sophisticated machine tools, they're all networked, right? Uh, so they're plugged into your company's computer system. And believe it or not, machine tools are often used as an adversary's access point um, into a company's network. Uh, so it, it's kind of interesting, right? It's a traditional blue collar trade that because of how technology has been implemented on the shop floor also presents a tremendous amount of cybersecurity risks. Uh, especially, you know, so you can think about just the access points that you have to, t- you know, secure 
to protect the machine tools, right? Because they're the public can get to them if they know how to do it. Uh, moreover than that, then you have the technical data. Now we all call it CUI, but you have blueprints that may be restricted that you are then turning into, you know, models, you know, solid models that you're then turning into machine code to machine the parts. Mm -hmm. Each step of which presents an opportunity for leakage of data. Uh, so I really think it was very interesting. You know, we talk commonly about the financial sectors and the risks or power generation and the risks on cybersecurity. But I think the traditional American manufacturing plant uh, presents one of the biggest risks because again, it's a traditionally, um, it's, it's a very established industry, right? Mm -hmm. And technology has been brought on slowly, um, oftentimes to increase precision, speed, ease of programming, but ultimately, you know, you have a machine tool with an IP address, which presents a real risk. And one of the things I see is a real reticence of people in that industry to recognize how serious the cybersecurity risk is just because of the kind of machine tools they buy. Mm -hmm. uh, they've never contemplated the kinds of uh, exposure they are opening themselves up to without considering all the other, uh, the, the impacts basically, I guess would be an easier way of saying that. So, and I, I'm, I'm thinking three different types of, of threats or problems. One is somebody getting hold of your intellectual property, your designs, which is kind of almost corporate espionage. The other is, does that information about designs, about what's going on, become national, national security problems when you're a contractor? And the third one, which I think would be less and less of an issue, is somebody actually hacking in, taking control, changing something in while it's operating. You know, if, in terms of those those three, and maybe there's some more. Um, what are you most concerned about? What seems to be the biggest problem in that industry? Probably the second one. Uh, you know, industrial espionage or the theft of IP. Yes, that is a concern. Uh, generally, that's going to happen more in an R&D field where there's new technology being developed, mm -hmm. that there's a, there's a financial incentive, right, to, to steal that information. Uh, but it's that, it's kind of, again, that interface between restricted but not classified data. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of the well-known leaks uh, with Lockheed and Electric Boat happen through subcontractors, not through the primes. They're too well protected. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is possible, yes, to, yes, an adversary or a bad actor could log into your machine tool and make it ruin the parts it's making. That's far less likely than them using the machine tools and access into your network and stealing all of the data. Because mm -hmm. uh, once they can get in there, there's a lot more upside to stealing all the data than there is to wrecking a part or two, because uh, you can recover from that pretty easily. The data theft, you know this, is almost unrecoverable uh, mm -hmm. unless you're a large organization. Okay, so they become more of a backdoor into a bigger data data picture, and you know we've we've heard that that quite often. But um, as far as the 
Now the 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 surface of this, there's so many of these manufacturers like that, like if like your example with Lockheed, um, and that's the the new compliances they're putting in place, which is something that you work now pretty 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 much with at PTAC, right? Helping companies get to the point where they can meet that compliance for the the larger companies or the government contracts. Correct, and it's one of the uh, you know it's one of the Department of Defense's biggest initiatives right now. Uh, you know, a lot of our clients feel like this is something that the government is all of a sudden imposing on them. People who are professional, you know. Professionals in the cybersecurity industry know that this threat has been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. My personal opinion is actually is that the government is playing catch up right now. And that's why so many of these things are happening quickly is, is they're realizing how at risk our industrial base is and they're trying to catch up as quickly as possible. Uh, so yeah, one of the things we do at the PTAC is try and educate our clients on what the requirements are and provide assistance in helping them meet those requirements. Um, soon, if you do not meet these requirements, you will not be eligible to work with the Department of Defense. And I see that spreading ultimately across the entire federal government and then trickling down to the state governments as well. Um, it's People are really finally starting to understand the real societal and financial risks uh, that come with weak cybersecurity. Interesting. So now I've heard for quite a few years now that NIST 171 came out five or six years ago when they said it would have to be, I think by the end of 2016, everybody had to be in compliance with that, right? Yep. And then it shifted to 2017. Seems to be a, a rolling target where the can keeps getting kicked down the road. Um, why, why is that not going to happen now? Why is it going to be actual happen and everybody have to comply to it? Honestly, between you, me and the microphone, I still think there's an amount of kicking of the can going on. Uh, even with the new CMMC requirements, right? There's huge sections of that that haven't really been completed right? The third party accreditation hasn't been resolved yet. Mm-hmm. A lot of uncertainty as to the speed of the rollout. Um, they're going to try and do a top down rollout, right? With the biggest primes, um, the Lockheed's, the Boeing's, the Raytheon's first, and then trickling it down through the supply chain. Uh, I, I think the reticence in making hard and fast lines has been kind of this, this natural tension between trying to preserve an industrial base and trying to get it up to a standard as quickly as possible. If they all of a sudden drew a hard line in the sand, they would cut their supply chain in half, probably instantly. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think there's a tension built in with trying to meet the requirement and, and preserve as much of the supply chain as possible. I believe that that patience is coming to an end um, and that these things will become reality in the next few years. Um, you know, there's a briefing given maybe two weeks ago by Katie Arrington at DOD, and I think her rough numbers were right now there's about 600,000 DOD uh, suppliers in the supply chain, and she anticipates that maybe a third of those 
will ultimately be able to comply with the new requirements. That's just her opinion, but it's nonetheless uh, pretty, it's a data point from someone who's truly experienced right in the middle of it. Okay. Well, let's take a break here from our sponsors. We can be right back and talk some more. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today, talking to uh, PTAC, uh, Jonathan Viteto, the Program or Procurement Technical Assistance Center. And uh, like I said, I had not heard that acronym, what it meant until today. But uh, Jonathan is the, the director for that program. Uh, and we were talking about what they do and the new compliance is coming down the road. Now let's talk about how you help and who should come to you, who does to get help with what you do. Okay, well, like I mentioned at the beginning, we are primarily funded uh, through a cooperative grant with the Department of Defense. We also receive state and local funding. So everything we do is provided at no cost to our clients. Um, so we do this, we have kind of uh, two big initiatives or efforts, if you will, Chris. Mm -hmm. So we do one-on-one -on -one, you know, counseling with clients and companies. So one of our staff will sit down and understand what the company is, what their goals are, where they want to get, and we'll design a roadmap and help coach and mentor them through it. Um, the other thing we do is we put on classes on a weekly basis on all topics related to government contracting, all the way from the very basic, you know, 100 style, you know, freshman classes all the way up through, you know, six, 700 grad classes, if you will, uh, that really, really get into detail. So we have an entire course offering. Our new classes will be up on our webpage uh, probably by the second week in October. And we have a complete series of classes specific to this topic on understanding cybersecurity, basic cybersecurity, understanding the CMMC, uh, the different levels. Uh, we have workshops where uh, uh, clients can come in a collaborative environment, do like some self-assessments, work through some of the tools um, in an instructor-led environment. Um, we have uh, subject matter experts that will go to clients' facilities and do assessments at no charge. So we have, we have a lot of no-cost resources that can really help companies get ahead of this and there's no need to reinvent this wheel, right? It's been, it's already been invented. So our job is to get this information out to clients and be sure they know how uh, to utilize it. Utilize it. Okay. So now that is just for compliance, right? We're talking about compliance with the, for government contracting. Is there any other, anything else that hits your mission at, at the PTAC? Well, we provide or you just mean generally the other things that the yeah the other things yeah yeah so I mean we have programs to help people with business development uh, proposal review 
Uh, we will help people find government customers for their products and services. Mm -hmm. uh, we're intimately involved in the SBIR, STTR program. Uh, pretty much, you know, cradle to grave at these local, state, and federal level. Mm -hmm. um, our staff is comprised of 10 former contracting officers. I am actually the only one who is not a contracting officer. I come from industry, so a little different perspective there. But I have yet to find a client problem that we do not have in-house knowledge to solve. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, we can help basically almost any business uh, find, cultivate, and complete government contracts uh, at any at any level. Interesting. So I've heard that some a uh, lot of talk about some of those processes for the government, especially the SBIR could really need a lot of overhaul uh, and efficiencies. Are you involved with any of those changes? I am. Um, actually had a meeting last week with a client and we were going through um, maybe two weeks ago, the, the new SBIR announcement that came out uh, the third week in August. And you know everybody knows about that announcement. So there's a lot of publicity, there's a lot of traction. There's a lot of companies that are looking there. There are literally hundreds of similar other opportunities that aren't nearly as well advertised. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that the Colorado Act is trying to do is to educate Colorado companies on these other opportunities, basically to go where the crowd is not because the likelihood of success is much, much, much greater. Now, I also know, Chris, that the Air Force, the Army, and the Navy, the three agencies I'm most familiar with, do not spend all of their budgeted R&D money. Um, they constantly turn money back. So there's a lot of room for growth for small businesses, especially here in Colorado, uh, to take advantage of this. But again, it's making the right connections and finding the right customers. Uh, that, I think, is the trick. Interesting. So the... The matching the technology to the customer. How often do people come to you with a technology and there's no customer for it, and you look for that that type of support? We have companies coming to us on a weekly basis that have great ideas and who their customer is. Mm -hmm. So that is one of one of our you know mission goals is to help people that do have viable ideas find that customer mm -hmm. and. There are customers out there, especially in the tech field, for almost anything. Uh, machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, uh, cross-pollination between those things, new ways to leverage you know, internet connectivity, uh, SATCOM, uh, PNT. There's always a customer, but sometimes those customers are really, really, really hard to find. Mm -hmm. So that's where the PTAC comes in. We use our experience, our contacts, and our resources to help these companies find the right customer for their technology. Okay. So if 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 um somebody was looking to start a company, they didn't have a technology, what are hot things out there that you have customers for, but maybe no technology to meet? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh 
Well, you know, the government's always interested in flying copy machines, and I have yet to find anyone who can make one. Uh, I haven't come across somebody who, I haven't come across that exact scenario, to be honest. You have stumped me on that one, my mm -hmm. friend. Uh, Oh, if we come up with something, we're always always interested in revisiting it. I just, hey, if I'm if I'm going to start making something or got lots of students that are eager to do something, what is it that they could hit that would be good? But uh, it's always a good question. Well, here's an example. So years ago, when my brother and I started our first manufacturing company, we did a little bit of what you're talking about. We designed and programmed a database that basically sucked information down from the Department of Defense. And we were able to figure out based off their requisitions mm -hmm. when that request came out. And what we would do is we would look for the ones that were two, three, four, six years old. Those are the things we would try and manufacture. Mm -hmm. the stuff the government could not seem to buy and for many 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 years that was a very very good business for us because basically we would approach a customer ask what they couldn't get you know what what companies have gone out of business what parts do you need that you can't buy we would we would fill that niche mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of times i coach clients to ask your customers what their problems are. And that's a very good way to start the conversation on, tell me, don't tell me about your successes, hopes, and dreams. Tell me about your problems and we'll work on the problems. Uh, everyone wants to sell the new mousetrap. I want you to tell me about the old one that doesn't work right so we can fix that. So we often use the problem solving sales pitch as a way to get into a customer and we ended up making, Chris, some very strange, strange things. Uh, but like I said, asking the customer, what are your problems? What are your pain points? What keeps you up at night? Uh, that proved very, very, very successful for my brother and I. Interesting. Okay, so now um, anybody out there that's listening that might benefit from you, how would they get a hold of you? Um, what types of classes are you, offer, you offering? What's your schedule look like coming up? Um, just to, to uh, anything you need from our audience. So Chris, the easiest way to get in touch with us is to go to our webpage, which is Colorado PTAC, PTAC.org. And we have a sign up button right there for new clients. It takes about two minutes. Um, you'll put some basic information there that one of my staff will contact you usually within a day or so to set up an initial uh, meeting either in person on video or on phone to kind of understand your needs. Mm -hmm. Also on the webpage, we have a calendar uh, of upcoming events and any one week throughout the year, we usually have between two and four events every week. And those are usually training events. And we also have networking events. We have industry days where we try and pull together similar companies from similar industries. Uh, for networking events, we have uh, large panels where we bring in government prime contractors to talk to potential subs. And we also have what we call government to business days. We do two, we do a 
Department of Defense focused one, and we do a federal and state government focused one. And we do those in several areas in the state. And that's where we'll have a panel of, for instance, government contracting officers and buyers mm-hmm. that clients can interact with. Uh, it, you know, Colorado is blessed to have literally hundreds of government agencies uh, operating out of Colorado. So we try and bring all those players together in one area so our clients can interact with them on a one-on-one basis. Awesome. Well, th- there you go. If you're looking for support in uh, getting military contracts, working for the government, uh, the PTAC is a place to start. So thanks for joining today, Donovan. No, thanks for your time, Chris, and thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. All right. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to New Cyber Frontier. Remember to follow or like our post and circulate each new show to your networks. We keep you informed, bring you the latest news, explore new trends, and find the hottest topics. With New Cyber Frontier, you don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert. Just get plugged in. We encourage you to get involved. Tell us what topics interest you and join our mailing lists. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. That's newcyberfrontier.com. Check out our previous interviews and please let us know if there are any topics that you would like to hear discussed. See you next time on New Cyber Frontier.